Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Alan Ville, founder and CEO of Clickfolio. Today, we'll be covering three main topic areas with Alan. First, the challenge with data overload in the SaaS industry today. Second, presenting complex data in a simple manner. And third, how to use metrics to drive decisions, both for the executive team members and also the board of directors. Alan, please take a moment to give a brief overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics Measure Up podcast. Thanks, Ray. Uh, super happy to be here, and thanks for the intro. So my name is Alan Villa. As Ray mentioned, uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO at Clipfolio. It's been a, a long data-driven journey for us. We've always been in the dashboarding space, and I think because of that, we have spoken to thousands, if not probably tens of thousands of customers about data, about metrics. I mean, we've we've seen ups and downs in our own data history as well. You know, and we've got a very much a, a data culture as well, one that, you know, encourages transparency and criticism. So I think there's a lot that, you know, Ray and I have in common and uh, hopefully we can contribute here. I'm looking forward into digging deep into the whole world of data-driven and kind of metrics-informed decision-making to benefit the customer and add to their success. And with thousands and thousands of these conversations and insights, I'm going to start at a summary level. How would you characterize the current data-driven cultures in the SaaS industry? Yeah, it's changed a lot over the past 10, 20 years. This is this is the time frame that you know I've been involved in in sort of the BI and, and the sort of the data industry. And I would definitely say that most folks are much more aware that data is the true gold. Data is the new oil. And certainly there is tons and tons of it, almost too much data. And I think even though there is that understanding and that want to be data informed and data driven. And I see, you know, cultures, management cultures using things like OKRs. I think there are still a huge swath of the industry, huge swath of the management that isn't really understanding what they should be monitoring, what's driving action. So I think in general, it is moving in the right direction. And I've seen this, you know, clear and clear, but wow, there is still so much stuff that I think we can dig into and, and educate and, and help each other with. Yeah. And you're right. It's a real journey. We as an industry, when I say the industry, I mean the B2B size of cloud industry, we're still in the early days of maturation where we're really making kind of metrics-informed decisions. But let's first focus on some of those smaller companies because I talk to a lot of founders and CEOs and CFOs, less than 5 million ARR. And they're like, what metrics should I track? And I'm like, well, what are some of the challenges that you're facing today? But what are the challenges for early stage executives to use dated metrics? What do you see out there? So I think, I think the biggest challenge starts with having good data. And, and that actually doesn't go away. Uh, if you're a small company or if you're a big company, it, it almost makes it worse if you're a big company in some degree. But 
good data, starting with a good understanding of what is the raw data that you have? How much of it do you have? Can you segment it? Do you have sufficient data as well so that you can actually draw some you know, correlations and some statistical significance? So I think having sort of a maturity in your data systems is probably the, the fundamental thing that people struggle with. Now, moving beyond that, and I'm sure we're going to get into it, you know, once you have data, people start monitoring way too much stuff, right? I think we're probably going to get into that, but certainly my advice is, you know, understand it. We at, at Clipfolio, we've got a long history of working with a BizOps team. So we have a BizOps business operations team, and they're really critical in making sure that the data integrity and the data quality of all of our systems sings and plays nicely together. That's a, a, just an absolute godsend as far as doing any kind of analysis. You know, it may seem like a simple term, but it's going to add to confusion to the listening audience. So, and that's business operations or biz ops. What is the difference between revenue operations and <laughs> business operations and financial operations? I'm going to give you all three, Alan. So Ray, I should have known that you were going to sort of dive into this and maybe, you know what, I would, I would let you to help me with this definition, but I see business operations. So in our world at Clipfolio, business operations sits within GNA, general and admin or finance and admin. So it is definitely, you know, part of my home. I'm, I'm part of GNA as well uh, as the CEO. And really I look at that team to understand all of the data that is coming from our marketing systems, all the data that's coming from our application itself, from our sales operation systems, from Zora and Stripe, all of that stuff that is coming in and, and has to be moved around the organization and then further analyzed, it's up to them. It's their responsibility to make sure that the data integrity and the systems are playing well together. Now, that is a very central role for us. Now, we also have a marketing ops role. We don't have a finance ops role, so maybe you can help me with that one, uh, Ray. But for the marketing ops, this is somebody that is managing our, our HubSpot instance, managing all the data that sort of flows back and forth, all the custom fields, all the integrations, all the, the triggers, all the email and, and things like that. And also then the, the ties back and forth with the sales team as well. So I think each department, and it's increasingly more important, each department does need to be data operations centric. But for us, the largest focus is with the business operations team. And then we have these satellite operations groups that dovetail into that. Now, how would you answer that, Ray? So I think business operations is typically an organization I see in larger, more mature companies. And it acts as an over kind of arching look at both the revenue operations type of data, so whether that's sales ops or marketing ops or CS ops, where they're trying to use data to improve the efficacy of customer acquisition, customer retention, and customer expansion. And then FinOps or financial operations is looking at what's the data I need from the go-to-market organizations or across the company to make my financial reports much more accurate, timely, and we can deliver what the investors and board of directors. And business ops sometimes kind of helps to make sure the RevOps data flows nicely into what FinOps needs. Now I'm seeing smaller organizations will just have a revenue ops for all the go-to-market data process, platform administration, and then have FinOps of taking that data and delivering financial reports, and they delay the business operations investment. Yeah. So our FinOps and BizOps is probably quite synonymous. So boy, I, I brought us on a tangent, Alan. So let me kind of pull <laughs> us back to data. 
And two challenges that I'm seeing with especially earlier stage companies or SMBs. One is what are the metrics and data that's really a high priority at this stage of my company's evolution? And then how do I make sure that the data I do have is easy to understand, that we can use it to make good business decisions, and it's not overwhelming, but at the same time, I can do a little bit of slicing and dicing to get different views of that. So let's start with how do you determine what metrics I should be using and thus what data I need? Yeah, I really like that question. And I've actually written on that topic. I've coached, hopefully, helpfully coached a number of startups. And what I often find is that these startups with huge dreams are starting to track things like, what's my valuation multiple? And, you know, what's my, you know, future metric that really sort of matters as far as raising money and all the, all the sort of future stuff that gets startup founders excited. And really all of that stuff is completely useless. So I break it up into three buckets and for a startup, really the only thing that matters are product focused or product market fit focused metrics. Like nothing else matters absolutely nothing else. Like focus zero in your entire team, your marketing team, your sales team, your product team, more so these days, right? With product-led growth, focus them in on delighting those customers and try to the best of your abilities, depending on what your product is, try to measure that in a scientific way. You know, like how many people are starting your product that are actually coming back the second day? You'd be surprised. 95% of them are not going to come back the second day. How can you move that so that you get more people activated, more people using your product, more people telling their friends about it? And there are a lot of metrics, you know, everything from the Sean Ellis test, you know, to NPS, to using tools that instrument your, your application flow, to even just talking. Like one of the, one of the most important roles that I'm sure Ray, you know, is talk to your customers. And especially early on, you know, there's, a, there's an art and science to growing a business from the ground up. And I think you really need to focus on those product market fit straight from the customer's mouth type of metrics. And then once you've got that, then comes the growth metrics, which are very well known. And then after that, you know, once you're maturing comes sort of the profitability and the efficiency metrics. Yeah. Interesting. We have this SaaS metrics framework, and there's a lot of similarities there, but you said something, and I don't want to let it go, and that was activation. We actually say one of the best metrics you can measure is what percentage of your customers and users hit that activation point. So define where's the aha moment in your application or where the real business value really resonates, and how often are people reaching that, and then how often do they continue to go back and hit that point? Yeah. And that's, and that's tough. You're going to get it wrong. Uh, you have to experiment. And oftentimes in an early product journey, what you think the customer's aha moment is, is maybe not what you intended it to be. So iterate on that, you know, that activation moment and really learn from that and, and adjust. Now, Ray, the second question you, you were asking was, you know, how can early companies sort of start taking advantage of some of this data? So I think the first one is it's a cultural thing. And I think that really has to do with the leadership. I think it has to do with the employees that you're, you're hiring. Let's make sure that we all have curiosity at the center of what we're doing. Let's be curious about, well, what does that mean? And let's scrutinize you know, each of the flows and each of the funnels and each of the numbers. But 
beyond that, there's so many individual apps that now have some sort of analytics or dashboarding capability in them. So Salesforce, you know, it's not great, but Salesforce has got some analytics in it. HubSpot has got some analytics in it, Google Analytics. And I remember even we were using those tools to begin with to sort of assemble these things and bring some of the data to life. So certainly start getting your feet wet using that. The other thing that obviously is probably the most widely used BI tool out there is Excel. You know, so even even if it's cutting and pasting these numbers into a spreadsheet, at least the discipline and the desire to be data informed or data driven is there. And I think that's important. Now, make no mistake, it's, it's not going to scale. It's not going to help you visualize and see trends as easily as, as a BI platform, but there's nothing wrong with putting stuff into Excel so that you can easily manipulate it and at least have some history. Well, it's interesting you said that. We just recently conducted some benchmarking research and we asked, what tools do you use to capture, calculate, and view SaaS metrics? 75% of companies said Excel was the number one tool. Then when you say what other tools are being used, it goes all the way down to 29% was the second leading category, and it was a BI tool. The third tool at 21% was a specialized kind of FP&A or SAS metrics. And then the next one was the core financial platform. So people aren't using their core financial platform to really look at SAS metrics, which is really interesting. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's because it's too specialized, right? Now, I mean, for our customers, many of them are are growing SaaS companies as well. And what we hear the most is that I'm currently using Excel, we're growing, and I'm overwhelmed with the data that I have. So it's almost like they're growing up and choosing Clipfolio as their sort of level up analytics tool, graduating from Excel, but nothing the matter with Excel. Well, we've talked about data overload a couple of times, and I'm sure for the earlier stage founders and CEOs and CFOs, they're kind of like, yeah, we have that. So do you have any advice or tips and tricks on how you can make sure that the metrics and data that you're actually capturing is being used to drive decisions? And isn't just, we look at it at the executive leadership and it's like, oh, that's nice. And then we go back to making decisions the way we've always done. Yeah, absolutely. And Listen, I think every company has fallen into that trap. And to a degree, we actually do that as well. Uh, And maybe that's part of being curious. You know, we'll spin up a number of metrics on our dashboard and our analytic platform. And then I think what you need to do is you almost need to see, do they stick? You know, are people referencing them? And of course, your, your BI tool is a living, breathing thing. And the data that you have and the cleanliness is all sort of living, breathing. So you know, start monitoring different metrics. And if certain ones you're always going back to and, and you rely on them and you're checking them, you know, every morning and before you go to bed, those are the ones that are really actionable and meaningful. And if there's other ones that, you know, you are just not anymore, that's, that's a pretty easy sign. Now, having said that, that's a pretty raw and rough way of doing it. And certainly not very scientific. The other way to sort of layer on top of don't get overwhelmed is by having, of course, a strategy, you know, have some sort of a theme, you know, so this quarter, you know, we're, we're going to stick with activation this quarter, we're going to be focused on activation. Okay. Of all the metrics that we have, what are the ones that really help us measure activation? 
you know, and, and once we've nailed that, let's keep a cursory number of them to sort of monitor activation, but let's move on to, I don't know, conversion. Let's focus on conversion as the thing that the whole company is going to rally around and understand and, and optimize. So I think where you, where you put your focus is really what the company will do. And that's a very easy way for everybody to say, well, does it fit into this theme or does it not? Yeah. I'd like to supplement that a little bit with some of the feedback I've been getting from our customers. So one of the things you just talked about, I love, it's almost this concept of a North Star metric. Mm -hmm. What's that metric that everyone knows is so critical to our success as a company? We go to the next step and say, at the beginning of whether it's the fiscal year or even the fiscal quarter, you know, what are the three to five top company measurable objectives? Maybe it's to increase my committed ARR growth, or maybe it's to increase my gross dollar retention or decrease my CAC payback period. But have those three to five that everyone knows, this is our top five things we're focused on for this period of time. And then at the next layer down, maybe it's at the department head level, but they know that their metrics are causal or at least correlated to those top three to five company level metrics. That way, the only thing you're measuring, you can look at the outcome company level metrics at the end of the period and say, did we or did we not impact those? What do you think? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, a lot of folks have started using OKRs and we use, we use OKRs as well. And, and it really has a built-in hierarchy, right? So at the highest level, you know, this is what we're driving to. It's sort of this mega theme for the year, right? You know, and then every function and every team, and even we even do uh, personal OKRs for sort of personal growth you know, all of that stuff should all sort of build up to impact the most important North Star metric. So again, that's another way to sort of create some clarity out of this world where everybody has too much data. Alan, can you, for our audience, just let them know what OKRs stand for? Sure. So OKRs, and there's lots of good books written about this, by the way, OKRs stand for Objectives, and key results. So there's an objective that the company states that's part of the company's strategy. And then there are key measurable results that you then track against those objectives. And, and again, that can sort of follow down via a hierarchy. And, and by the way, for people who are interested in that framework, it really came out of Intel in the 70s. And then John Durr actually introduced it to Google. And Google really ran with OKR. So there's a great book written by John Durr, who is the you know, kind of principle at Kleiner Perkins for everyone to read. But let's move from OKRs into how companies evolve and they've got Excel and they're doing a great job with Excel, but it's not easy to share these results with all the operating team or the employees at large. So there's going with a BI type tool to kind of automate and make it more accessible. There's also these kind of specialized SaaS metrics platforms or FP&A tools. So my question to you, Alan, is, when do you know it might be time to move beyond Excel as your primary assessment metrics tool? Yeah. So, Ray, I mean, obviously I'm biased. We, we've been developing and selling, you know, a, a BI tool for SMB for a long time. But, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, we, we do talk to a lot of growing companies. And just so that I can define that for you, we typically talk to folks that are about 25 employees and up. And even though I'm using employees as a proxy, what that usually means is that they have a little bit of data maturity. 
So they may have a CRM, they may have uh, some payment infrastructure, they have maybe some sales tools as well, some finance tools. So they have a data infrastructure that they're starting to want to monitor. They may also be venture-backed, which puts additional sort of scrutiny on the metrics. But whatever the case is, around that time period, Excel stops working for them. And what that means is there's too much data that is changing. There's too many systems that they're trying to input the data from. And it's, it's actually quite difficult to share, see the history, annotate, uh, see visualizations. And that's why folks are coming to us. So again, listen, I'm, I'm biased, but I am a true believer that there's so many business intelligence tools, so many dashboards out there, so many analytic tools out there that find the one that works best for you. You said something interesting though, and I think we, you know, we have a lot of people out there in our audience that are, you know, that 2.5 to 5 million, which, you know, 25, 50 employees. So you're saying actually think about moving beyond Excel that early of a stage of growth. Oh yeah. I actually don't think that's too early at all. Now I would say if you do it before then it might be too early, right? Because there definitely is, there's an extra level of data cleanliness and, and data scrutiny that is needed before any kind of a dashboarding or, or BI tool will actually work properly for you. So there is a little bit of effort that you have to put in to make sure that the data is good. You've got the dimensions set up, but once you've done that, and again, there's, there's lots of tools out there besides Clipfolio, this is where you can then visualize your data, you know, and you want to visualize it to understand if there's patterns or see trends or compare it to the history. You want to annotate it so that you can place markers of importance. This is when we launched this campaign. This is when we did this. You wanna bring in multiple data sources as well. Again, it's it's all difficult in Excel because you wanna actually say, well, what is the ratio between the data that I have in my CRM, HubSpot, to what I have in QuickBooks? or Google Analytics and Zora. So that's where ratios and insights and trends get really interesting. When you bring all of the data that is feeding your business into play and you start understanding that. I love that you talked about the visualization on a time series. So see how our performance metrics are trending over the last one, two, four, maybe even eight quarters. I love that. The other thing we would say is, Try to introduce also the concept of comparing your trend lines to external benchmarks. Yep. Because yep. when you're a $5 million company, you're going to have certain benchmarks for whether it's gross dollar retention or customer acquisition cost efficiency. But at 20, it's going to be different. So continuously benchmark yourself. Well, and I think this is where what you're doing, Ray, is super interesting because I think all of us as leaders and founders, we've all gone out to dinner with a number of other leaders and we've said, hey, what's your number for this? And what's your number for that? And I think even though that's insightful, their business is not your business. And I think understanding your business compared to like companies, similar companies, that's where you truly get insight. Like, I would love to know if this metric that just had a dip for us was just us, or was it the whole world of like companies, right? So, and I think that's actually where the future is going to go for business intelligence. Like, I I think I was um, joking with you the other day, Ray, where I said, one of our dreams is almost to have Clipfolio be that analyst, that super smart analyst that can tell you every morning, 
hey, these are the things that happened. Here's the context of why it matters. And here's what you actually should do about it. So, you know, I think there's a lot of movement in that direction in the next couple of years. I love that. We go from virtual assistant to virtual analyst and ultimately to a virtual advisor. A hundred percent. Watch out, Ray. We got, we got the digital <laughs> VAs covered. Okay, you know, I can't believe it. Our time's almost up, Alan, but I want to get your perspective because there's a lot of evolution right now in the SaaS industry. So how do you see SaaS metrics evolving over the next 12 to 24 months? I think that I, I think true putting artificial intelligence and yeah. more insights, um, Alan, makes sense. But there's also a lot of new trends in the industry. I think they're new trends. At least they're getting a lot more momentum. Things like product-led growth or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. usage-based yep. pricing. So what do you think about, is that going to change the metrics we're using or is it just going to change the importance of them? I mean, I think companies are always evolving you know, how they do business. And I think because customers are always evolving how they want to do business with you, you know, the measurements by which we measure success will change, right? So as you said, product-led growth, nobody wants to talk to a salesperson anymore. Marketing is becoming less effective. So product-led growth is kind of the thing that is now the most efficient way to help customers succeed, right? So that's certainly a change. And there's a lot of metrics that can help you along that way and make sure that you're doing the right thing. And as you were just saying, usage-based pricing, here's another way you know, where, and again, it's, it's an efficiency towards being more fair for the customer. So usage-based pricing, you could argue is the ultimate in fair pricing. As you use more, you pay more. As you use less, you can control that, right? So again, how do we measure the value or the usage? And really what that means is the onus is on you to produce something that is valuable, right? You're not just selling something that is shelfware. You're selling something and you're tasked with creating stuff that people actually value. So of course, that's going to have a, a, a change in what people measure. Yeah, interesting. I'm going to double click on the usage-based pricing because I've been doing a lot of thinking and research on that. But we used to look at product engagement, you know, monthly active users, daily active users, daily active users, over monthly active yep. users. And that was a great uh, metric to predict retention. But now those type of product utilization metrics are going to predict your forecast for next month for revenue if you use a usage-based pricing. So I think there's going to be a fundamental change on the importance and the timeliness of these metrics to predict what's going to happen to your business tomorrow. Yeah, there was a, there was a term that I heard actually a long time ago called user-based accounting or usage-based accounting. So instead of dollars, you know, like let's track the active users in the in the system right so again just putting some rigor around that and if we are moving to a world where you're getting paid for how much value and usage your application is is giving people yeah user based value based accounting is the future and not to build a product on the fly here but you know this product analytics and usage information is so important to revenue trends I can even imagine now where you take the product analytics information from that tool and you have a dashboard and then you overlay your revenue trends and say, wow. look, or your customer retention trends. There's so many opportunities there, but yeah, I, I mean, digress, we, Alan. yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe, maybe just to add one more thing, it is a, it's a beautiful cycle, right? Because if you can understand who is activating and who is active in your application, 
And then you can get all of the demographic and firmographic data out of that and feed that back into marketing. Really, it's then marketing's job to feed more of those best fit customers into the system. So this, this perpetual motion machine is really what is driving your growth. Understand who's getting value. Marketing has to get more of those people. Okay, well, you just used the word perpetual motion. So we're going to let the audience get to know you a little bit more, and we'll see if you use Elon Musk here in my first question, because he's believed maybe perpetual energy is a reality. But what CEO or company do you think is a must-follow in 2022? So I'm actually not going to choose Elon Musk for probably a whole range of reasons, but I think he's a very interesting guy. But I generally don't think of any CEO or a company really as sort of pedestal worthy. And if I do look back, the leaders who have always left the biggest impression on me are probably the ones that nobody has heard of. They're probably the ones that are the most thoughtful, the most pragmatic, the most empathetic. And I think that is what truly is needed to build a successful data culture, right? Because data is not about pushing your ego. Data is about following evidence and listening and having a hypothesis. So I don't have a name for you, Ray, but that's kind of the characteristics that I would typically respect and look for. Well, you've got some great attributes of the people that you follow and you believe other people follow thoughtfulness, empathy, passionate. Yeah. And data-driven. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. That goes without saying, right? Okay. Second question. What tool, not your own, should every SaaS company be using? So I'm going to have to go with Mixpanel. And I know that there's other tools that will instrument your SaaS app as well. But Mixpanel for us is absolutely critical. So we look at all journeys inside the app. We A-B test everything in the app. And, and I think Mixpanel is this beautiful tool that, that really effortlessly almost allows us to understand what's working and what's not working in the app. So product market fit, even though it's an early aspect of your growth, it never goes away and, and you can lose it too. So understanding and monitoring product market fit and those flows in the app is 100% critical. Okay. Last question. You know, we're getting ready for college graduation time. So you've got that person who's just ready to graduate college or recently graduated college, and they want to be the next great B2B SaaS or cloud company founder. What's your advice to them, Alan? It's a long journey and it can be tough. And make sure that it's not fame and fortune that is driving your next five years or 10 years. Make sure it's something more substantial, something that you're passionate about. How are you going to make the world a better place? What value are you really passionate about? And I think that is so critical to founders because there are deep, dark places in the journey that you will need that passion to get you through. So make sure that there's something that is driving you because you're going to need that in good times and in bad times. You're going to need that if you want to grow. That's great. Make sure you're doing something you're passionate about and that's going to get you through those tough times. Alan, thank you so much for being our guest on the Metrics to Measure Up podcast today. My pleasure, Ray. And for our listening audience, if you're enjoying the content and the guests that we have on the Metrics to Measure Up podcast, it would mean the world to us to go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app. Go ahead and give us that five-star rating and provide us any reviews or recommendations of how we can make the show even better for each of you. 
Thank you to our audience and Alan Villa, founder and CEO of Portfolio. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.